You know, in 1978, on July 25th, Louise Joy Brown was born in Manchester, England, and hers was a most unusual birth. And the entire scientific world waited for her arrival. They had watched and they had waited for a long time, for nine months, they waited for this young girl. Because she was known as the world's first test tube baby. She was conceived in a Petri dish through a process which came to be known as in vitro fertilization. Many of you have heard of that, I'm sure. Which fertilized the egg of the woman with the seed of a male donor in a Petri dish. The fertilized egg was then taken from the Petri dish and was medically implanted into her mother's womb. And this procedure was very very unusual. It was not common. Obviously, it had never happened before. It was remarkable. But since the birth of Louise Joy Brown, you may be interested to know that this type of conception really is not all that uncommon. In fact, at this point, since 1978, when Louise was born, over 8 million people have been born this way. Over 8 million babies have been conceived through this process. In January of 2009, Natalie Sulman, who was a mother of six in California, became a national celebrity when she gave birth to a set of octuplets. Is it octuplets or octuplets? Octuplets, right? All of those babies came through this same process of in vitro fertilization, every single one of them. And so eager to help, people from all over the country began to shower her with all sorts of gifts. She was on talk show after talk show where they just lavished all sorts of gifts on her. She received everything from additions to her home to bunk beds and anything else that you can imagine. Why? Because this was a very unusual birth. Eight babies at one time and all eight of them lived. It was very unusual. Nobody had ever done anything like this before. And so her face then was on every news channel and every checkout stand in America. She was a media darling. Everybody loved her. In fact, she had so much fame that she actually had to hire a public relations company to help manage her image. She was incredibly famous after all. There had never been a birth like this. There had never been anything like it. It was very unusual. And of course, as you know, public opinion of Natalie began to turn when more of the facts were reported about the lady. But there's no arguing that this was a very, very unusual birth. This was unbelievable. In April of 2016, a 70-year-old woman in India gave birth to her first child. Very unusual, wasn't it? Seventy years old, she gave birth to her first child. On April 30th of 2017, CBS News in San Francisco reported the surprise of Kelly Corsetti of Sacramento when she gave birth to little Valentino. Valentino was unusual because when he was born, he weighed 13 pounds and 11 ounces. He was a big boy. That is a big kid. And do you know what the Sutter Davis Hospital said of Valentino? This is very unusual. <laughs> I've never seen, never seen a baby like this. But the truth is that unusual births happen all the time. They happen occasionally. In fact, I would say they happen often enough that we might even say they happen very commonly. But today, you have come together today to celebrate a birth that is more than just a little bit unusual. You have come here today to celebrate a birth that is phenomenal. 
Never in history has there ever been anything like it. Never has it ever occurred before and never again will it ever happen in the ages to come and you can be sure of that. Today we come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So what is it that makes the birth of Jesus Christ so special? I want to share that with you. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And I want you to read along with me. And I want you to see what makes the birth of Jesus Christ so unusual. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In ancient Jewish culture, marriages were almost always arranged by the parents, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think that's all that bad of an idea. <laughs> I feel sorry for my poor daughter's husband, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> But typically, kids in that culture were betrothed at what we would think of as a very early age. Girls would be betrothed as young as 12 to 14 years old, and boys around the ages of 15 to 16. But betrothal in Jewish custom was a lot m more than just an engagement to be married as we think of it. You see, betrothal back then was a contract. And it was a binding contract between two families, which included a price that the groom would pay for the, for the bride. Now think about this. A groom would pay a dowry or a price depending on several things. First of all, the social status of his bride's family, her abilities, and of course, her beauty. And so some brides would command a higher charge than others. But the dowry would be paid to the bride's father, and it would be paid to their family, and it would help to offset the cost of the wedding celebration. That was one of the things that it would be used for. I mean, think about this. You know how much it costs to have a wedding celebration that lasts one day. It's expensive, isn't it? But I want you to know that back then, wedding celebrations would last for seven days. Sometimes longer than that. And the father of the poor bride had to feed people and entertain them for seven days. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And so the dowry would help offset some of those costs. But if for whatever reason the groom decided that he didn't like the daughter and he wanted to return her or he wanted to divorce her, the dowry would act as sort of a, as a insurance policy and the father and the family would get to keep the dowry as compensation for the dishonor of, of his daughter having been returned. The groom, once he decided that he was going to marry this girl, once his contract was made, it was binding, and the couple were as good as married. The only thing was, they did not have any consummation. They did not have the celebration or the wedding until after the engagement, for sometimes up to one year. So it would sometimes take up to a year before they finally had the ceremony and they had consummation. 
But the period of betrothal was a time of testing. It was a time of finding out how committed the bride and the groom were to each other because they had very little contact with one another during that period. In fact, they never had any sexual contact at all during that period. I think it's important for us to understand the Old Testament provided some very sharp consequences for people who were sexually active outside of marriage. In the book of Deuteronomy, in fact, it tells us that if a young woman was betrothed to a man and was determined at the time of marriage not to have been a virgin, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 21. This is what it says. They shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Very serious. And so now we have a real problem, don't we? We've got a real problem here. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 1, and I want you to see what the problem is. Take a look at verse 18. When his mother Mary, this speaking of Jesus, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning Mary and Joseph, she was found to be with child. This is a really serious problem. Now, in verse 18, you see the words, before they came together, and it means exactly what you think that it means. It's intended exactly that way. The point that Matthew is trying to make is that Mary and Joseph had not had any sexual contact at this point. How do I know that? Well, it was the testimony of Mary as well. You remember when God sent the messenger, the angel, Gabriel, to Mary in the book of Luke, and the angel said to her, hey, you're going to have a baby. Take a look at verse 34. Mary says this, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I have never been with a man. And this is intended exactly the way that you understand it too. Mary says, wait a minute, I can't have a baby. Not only have I never been with Joseph, I have never been with anyone at all. How can I be pregnant? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? I think that's a really good question. I think that's a fair question. I mean, can you imagine? Poor Mary, think about this. Poor Mary, who is ever going to believe that a pregnant woman has never been with a man? Who is ever going to believe that? Who would ever believe anything like that? And the truth is, no one would. No one would believe that because that's not how it works, is it? We understand how that works. I mean, we learned in fifth grade health class that that's not how this whole process works. Nobody's going to believe a story like that. Her parents wouldn't have believed her. Joseph wouldn't have believed her. And quite honestly, neither would you. You probably never would have believed anything like that. I mean, it's just so fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it's so unbelievable to say that you're pregnant and yet you've never been with a man. It's unbelievable. Mary, this girl, this one who is pregnant with this baby Jesus, whose birth we celebrate on Christmas, has not yet had any relations at all with a man. Now that is a story that is very unusual. That is the story of a very unusual birth. In fact, the birth of Jesus Christ is so fantastic that more and more people are struggling to accept it according to the biblical record. Did you know that? There was a survey that was done last December by the Pew Research Center that found out that only 66% of Americans believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Only 66%. To explain it away... People try to identify the real father of Jesus Christ. That's what they try to do. And they'll say, well, he was actually the real son of Joseph. And they were just saying that because they were betrothed and they were not supposed to have had sexual relations, so they were lying about it. Of course, Mary and Joseph had sexual relations prior to the birth of Jesus. That's how he was born. So they'll say that they were, they were liars and that they actually had relations before they got married. And some of them will actually tell you that Jesus is the offspring of a Roman soldier and Mary having had an ungodly relationship together, an adulterous affair. 
They'll say, oh yeah, Mary got together with some Roman soldier and that's how Jesus was conceived. The religious leaders of the time of Jesus had made up a story that Jesus was the son of Mary and some Samaritan man. But I want you to know that that's not what happened. Joseph himself said, hey, he's not my son. I've never had relations with this woman. He is not my child. Joseph was a young guy, 15, 16 maybe. But he understood the birds and the bees. He knew how this worked. He knew that she was pregnant. And he knew that the child wasn't his. He knew this was not his kid. And so he had a couple options that were available to him. But he had to do something. I mean, who could marry a woman who has gotten pregnant by another man during the period of their betrothal? And so he had a couple options that he could have exercised. The very first option was he could make a public example of Mary. He could drag her back to the city of her father. He could charge her with adultery. He could take her back and make a big scene. He could take her back to her father's home. He could demand that his dowry be refunded to him. And then he could get a couple people from the city to just stand over her as she was at the door of her father's house and stone her to death. That was one of his options. He was able to do that if he wanted to. Just cause a big scene and do what the law allowed for him to do. Or, there was another option. He could just get a couple of witnesses together, no court proceedings, and he could write a certificate of divorce, completely private. Nobody would need to know. In fact, he didn't even have to write on the divorce certificate why he was letting her go. He could just let her go. And he could be done with it. He could get rid of her discreetly, graciously. And in verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So that's what he decided to do. He was a gentle man. He was a good guy. He was a righteous man, and he didn't see the need to drag her back to her father's house and kill her on her father's doorstep. What good is going to come from that? Sure, he was embarrassed, but he cared for her, and he didn't want to see her be embarrassed. He didn't want to see her humiliated. He didn't want to see her dead. Nothing good is going to come out of that. So think about this. Here's this guy, young man, Loves this girl. is convinced that she's been with another man. And he decides, I'm just going to let her go. And so he weighed it all out. He thought about it. He considered it all. He had heard her side of the story. And being a righteous man, he probably wanted to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and do what was required of the law. But at the same time, he was a loving and compassionate man. And the Bible tells us that he wanted to do what was right. And he continued to consider all of these things, the Bible says. He'd been weighing out all of his options. He thought about it. He weighed it out. And as he considered what she had said, can you imagine what was running through his mind? Is it possible that she's telling the truth? Is it possible that she could be pregnant without being with a man? No, that's not possible, is it? That's not possible. It's not possible at all. And so he didn't believe what she had told him. And frankly, I'm surprised that as many as 66% of the American people believe that story. To be honest with you, I'm surprised that as many as 66% of the American people believe in the virgin birth. And I just want you to know that if anyone ever tells you that a virgin gave birth, aside from Jesus Christ, you should be just like Joseph. You should be kind, and you should be gracious, but you shouldn't believe it. Because that's not how it works, is it? Unless, in verse 20, as he considered these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. Scientifically speaking, ever since the birth of Louise Joy Brown in 1978, man has had the ability to cause a virgin to give birth. Did you know that? He could scientifically, if he decided to, take an egg, put it in a Petri dish, and fertilize it. And then he could take the embryo and he could place it into the womb of a woman. So technically, that could happen from a scientific standpoint. But the doctor would have to use the seed of a man to do that, wouldn't he? The doctor would have to use the seed of a man to do that. You see, that's what conception is. It's when the seed of the man fuses together with the egg of the woman. And the two of them combine and they begin to develop a unique genetic code that forms a brand new human being. Reproduction requires the genes of one man and of one woman. That's not how it was with Jesus Christ. That's not how it worked with Jesus Christ. He was conceived from the Holy Spirit. He had no earthly father. There was no medical maneuvering. There was no manipulating the reproductive system. There was no genetic hocus pocus. Mary had not conceived by a union with another human being. She had conceived by union with the Holy Spirit and it was miraculous. It was unbelievable and it was absolutely incredible. It has never happened before or since. In fact, God knew that this story was so unbelievable that nobody would embrace it. He knew that nobody would buy this story. So to convince Joseph to believe the unbelievable, God sent an angel of the Lord to him. That is the only way that Joseph ever would have been convinced that Mary hadn't been with another man. Do you know that? The reason that God sent the angel is because it was the only way that Joseph ever would have believed that Mary's story was true. Can you imagine And imagine his relief. The angel says to him, Joseph, Mary is not lying. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Doesn't this make the birth of Jesus Christ unusual? Doesn't it make it extraordinary? Doesn't that make it out of the ordinary? You see, in order to fulfill the plan of God to reconcile man to himself, Christ had to come to earth as a sacrifice for sin. And if he had come to earth without a human mother, he would not have been a man. If he had come to earth without a human mother, he would not have been a human. He would not have been man at all. He would not have been able to sympathize with us in our suffering. He would not have been able to sympathize with you in your temptation. The author of the book of Hebrews said in chapter 4 and verse 15, we do not have a high priest, and he's speaking here of Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen, because he was born to an earthly mother, because he had little brothers and sisters, because he was raised in poverty and oppression, because he saw illness and suffering from the human perspective with his own eyes, he was able to sympathize with you. He's able to sympathize with all of us. And because he had an earthly mother, because he was born to Mary, because of that, he is human. He is man. And so when you are caught in sin, when you are caught in rebellious behavior, he is able to go to the Father and he's able to say, wait a minute, Father, I know what it's like for him to struggle with that sin because I too was tempted to do that. Have mercy on him. Show him grace. Show him favor. Put that one on my account. And so he's able to intercede for you because of that very truth. He's able to sympathize 
with all of your weaknesses. He's able to sympathize with all of your temptations. He understands when you struggle because He is human too. He's seen the devastation of sin. He's seen the fallenness of man. And He walked among them. He rubbed shoulders with them and He saw it with His own physical earthly eyes. But I want you to know that because He was born to a divine Father, because He was born of the Holy Spirit, He was able to overcome temptation and remain without sin. That's what the Bible teaches. He was able because of that to remain without sin. Because He is God, He was able to walk among the devastation of sin. He was able to walk among the fallenness of man without falling into sin and temptation Himself. Because He's God, He was able to come in the flesh of man, which He inherited from His earthly mother, and completely fulfill the righteous requirements of the law of His heavenly Father on your behalf, so that you could be forgiven simply by believing in Him. That's exactly what the angel meant. When the angel told Joseph in verse 21, she will bear you a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen, the Bible tells us that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph did finally have children according to the normal course of nature. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us even the names of the boys, that they were James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. They go on to tell us that they had multiple daughters together as well. Joseph was the biological father of all of those children. Joseph was the biological father of James. Joseph was the biological father of Simon and Mary's other boys and girls. But listen, of all of Mary's children, only Jesus was able to save His people from their sins. Only Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Bible is very careful to never call Joseph the father of Jesus. Because he wasn't. You see, if Joseph was the biological father of Jesus, along with all of Mary's other children, Jesus wasn't the Christ. If Joseph was his father, Jesus cannot save you from your sins. If a Roman soldier had had relations with Mary before she and Joseph were together, and Jesus was just the offspring of adultery, he was just another illegitimate child. He was just another sinful, illegitimate child, and He could not save you from your sins. So if either one of those are true, Jesus would be just like anybody else. If Jesus had an earthly father, He would be no different than you, and He would be no different than me. He would be just like anyone else. And I want you to know that the enemy of your souls knows that. So there have been myths of others who have been born to virgin mothers all through history. Certainly you can imagine that if the virgin birth is so important, you should expect Satan to attack it, and you should expect Satan to try to destroy it by offering false narratives of other virgin births. You can expect him to offer counterfeits. History will tell you that some of the Roman Caesars claim to be born of virgins. There are those mythical characters among the Greek and Roman gods who are said to have been born of virgins. Believe it or not, Alexander the Great was said to have been born of the virgin Olympias. But can I challenge you to compare the record of the Caesars and of Alexander the Great to the record of Jesus Christ? Can I challenge you to do that? Surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, there were countless miracles. There were countless miracles, including multiple supernatural appearances of angels with multiple corroborating witnesses. The life of Jesus Christ was characterized by the healing of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of congenital illnesses. 
Jesus Christ demonstrated authority over nature. Jesus Christ showed his authority over all supernatural powers. Jesus publicly raised multiple people from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead after three days in the grave, and he publicly ascended to heaven. Did Alexander the Great do any of those? No one has ever claimed to do those things. No one has ever claimed to do those things, but Jesus Christ did them on a daily basis in front of hundreds of thousands of witnesses. And so if there is one who claims to be born of a virgin, of whom several angels can come and testify directly to you, if there is one who lives a life completely free of sin and completely free of reproach, if there is one who walks on the water, if there is one who heals the sick, if there is one who raises the dead, and if there is one who miraculously ascends to heaven, and he comes to you and says, I am born of a virgin, believe him. Otherwise, he's a liar. Last week, as we studied the book of Ephesians, we noted that man is inherently sinful, isn't he? We noticed that man is inherently sinful. He's a prisoner to sin. And we all recognize our sin. We know that we're sinners. We know that we are. We know that we have sinful tendencies. And we all recognize that we don't always honor God, do we? We all know that because of that, we're awaiting eternal punishment. We know that it's coming. But God, rich in mercy, sent Jesus Christ to save you. He sent Him to save you. He sent Jesus Christ, born of a virgin mother, conceived by the seed of the Holy Spirit, to save you from your sins if you're willing to believe in Him. I want you to understand There is nothing that is more important than the issue of what you believe about Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than this issue that we're talking about this morning. What you believe about Jesus Christ determines your eternity. Do you know that? What you believe about Jesus Christ determines where you will spend your eternity. Jesus was confronting the religious leaders of His day. Back in Matthew 22-42, He posed a a question to his detractors, and this is what he says. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? To be saved, you must believe the right things about the birth of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to be saved. Do you know that? If you want to have eternal life, you can only do it by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so I'd like to ask you to consider that same question this morning. This is so important. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? You see, if you don't believe that Mary was a virgin, if Jesus had an earthly father, then Jesus was not the son of God. If he was just the son of Joseph, or if he was just the son of a Roman soldier, he cannot save you from your sin. And I want you to know that if that's true, The entire Bible is a lie. If that's true, there is no reason for you to hang on to your Bible. You can take it and you can throw it away. There's no reason for you to come here today to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Think about that. If Jesus Christ 
is not the Son of God, if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, then He is a fraud. If Jesus Christ is not really the Son of God like He claimed, if Jesus Christ was not really born to a virgin as He claimed, then why in the world would you gather here this morning to celebrate Him? Why would you come here to celebrate the birth of a charlatan? Why would you come here to celebrate the birth of a liar? Why would you do that? But, if on the other hand, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as was the testimony of Scripture. If Jesus was born to the Virgin by the seed of the Holy Spirit, as was the testimony of the angels, then He is Emmanuel, and He really is God with us. He really is God with us. He is God among us. If He is God as the testimony of the angels say, if He is God as the miracles say, if He is God as the eyewitness testimony claims, if He is God as even He Himself claims, then there are two things that are required of you. If He really is who He said He is, then there are two things that are absolutely inescapable for you. I want you to listen closely. If you haven't heard anything else, you need to hear this. If you are here to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the seed of the Holy Spirit, through the Virgin Mary, then there are two things that are required of you. First, you have to worship Him. And you have to honor Him. Because that's God's rightful place in your life. If He really is God, then you must worship Him. You must honor Him. Because that is God's rightful place in your life. Secondly, if He is God, then He's greater than you. And He has the right to rule over you. And you must submit your life to Him. You must serve Him. And you must obey Him. So I just want to ask you, why are you here this morning? What are you here to celebrate this morning? Are you here to celebrate the birth of a liar and a fraud? Or are you here to celebrate the birth of God with us? Are you here to celebrate because you know that He is God, He is Emmanuel, He is God with us? What is it that you're celebrating this week? What is it you're going to celebrate with your family in the coming days? Are you celebrating the birth of a liar? Are you celebrating the birth of an illegitimate child of a Roman soldier and an unfaithful woman? Is that what you're here to celebrate? Are you celebrating the birth of the true Son of God, born to a virgin through the seed of the Holy Spirit? What do you think about the Christ. Whose son is he? Either answer requires something from you. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that you have loved us so much that you developed a plan to restore us to fellowship with you. I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to set aside the beauty and the privilege and the prerogative of heaven to be born to a young virgin girl on Christmas Day. And I pray, Father, that You would challenge us all to face the question of Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone here this morning when asked the question, whose son is He? What do you think about the Christ? That we can all confidently say that He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through the seed of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Lord, I pray that You would give us the gift of faith, to believe and to be saved. In Jesus' name.